If you would take your Bibles and open to Psalm chapter 16, Psalm 16. As we finish our John series last week, we come now to another summer in the Psalms. Um, it's a great thing, I think, to return to year after year. Um, the Psalms need to be a part of our diet as the people of God. They say things like we just sang in ways that we're afraid to say them and sing them. The Psalms are divine permission to come to God in some beautiful ways. Psalm 16. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. A mictum of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask for help. Father, thank you for this psalm. Lord, may we resonate deeply with David here and his insecurities. And like him, may we be pointed to you, Christ, our living King. Shape us, we pray, more and more into the image of you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. For the last six weeks or so, we've focused on the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John. We've seen that he was raised and that his resurrection changed things. Transforming from sorrow to joy, from fear to faith, from doubting to absolute certainty from a denier of Jesus to one willing to die for him. The resurrection is incredible. And now we come to Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Christ and after the ascension of Christ into heaven, we have the Spirit of God coming to the church in power. There are so many good lessons that we can learn from Pentecost, but I want us to focus on the sermon at Pentecost. What is the message of Peter? 
the message still had not changed. 50 days later, the Spirit being poured out, you would think, oh, there's going to be something new. Nope. Nothing new. Peter's sermon at Pentecost is the very same message that Christ is risen. He is alive. The sermon he preached when the Holy Spirit comes in power is our psalm. Psalm 16. A resurrection psalm. Resurrection. Security. Hope. Fullness of joy. And pleasure evermore. All because Christ is raised. In our study of John, we concluded with the interaction of Jesus with Peter, restoring him, renewing him, calling him to tend his lambs, shepherd his sheep, and feed the sheep. Then we come to Acts chapter 2, the giving of the Spirit and all its power, and then Peter preaches a sermon. He preaches on the resurrection of Christ. He is tending lambs. He is shepherding sheep. He is feeding sheep using Psalm 16. The psalm before us gives incredible hope. But it starts in a a dark place. It It starts with David asking for security. Preserve me, O God. Concluding in in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand there are pleasures evermore. The, The scope of this rather brief psalm is massive. So the question for us today is how do we do that? How do we move from this insecure place of David who needs a guardian to considering God and fullness of joy with him forever. That's what we're going to consider. First, what causes insecurity? Second, where do we often look to find security that's not so good? And then finally, our only true source of security. First, what causes it? Look at verse 1 again. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. This petition is going to control the entire psalm. David is in trouble. The term preserve is an interesting term. It's the same term used by God in the early chapters of Genesis for what Adam was to do in the garden. He was to keep it. He was to guard it. He was to preserve the garden. He was to cultivate the garden. David is asking God to keep watch over him. To guard him. That's not an uncommon theme across the Psalms, especially in the Psalms of David. He often, if you know anything about David, he finds himself in over his head time and time and time again. Here, however, we don't find him spelling out the specifics of his situation. He's in trouble. The Psalm starts with him asking to be guarded. Guard me. Watch over me. Here we, we have this call, but we, we don't have the specifics, so we have to kind of tease those out. What in the world is he wanting to be guarded from? What, what's going on? Verse 2 tells us 
that David is looking in the right direction. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. No good apart from you. God, you have to do something here. Can we think of our own lives? This is King David. And he is saying up front, I have no good apart from you. Do we have a grid to frame our life like that? I have no good apart from you. It's a huge lesson for us. However, let's look for David's cause for insecurity. I think looking through the psalm, we can easily find three potential sources of insecurity that he's dealing with and that we all deal with in our lives as well. The first is found in three and four. As for the saints of the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrow of those who run after another God shall multiply their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Here David is contrasting two groups that live in Israel. He's saying generally there are two kinds of people. There there are believers who worship the Lord, saints in the land, and then that is contrast with the, the sorrows of those who run after idols. That's the other group living in Israel, those who worship false gods. Israel's society is much like ours in that sense. It's marked by some who are faithful, some who hear the call of the Lord and respond to it and live their lives according to God and His Word and some side by side who look the same, side by side with them, but they are going after idols. They are pursuing their own ends. He says their misery is increased because not only do they lose themselves to their idols, but they live life under the displeasure of God Himself. Why is David bringing this up after calling on God to keep him? Why does he bring up idolaters? And I think the answer is this, peer pressure. Do you think it's easy to be faithful in a culture and society where idolatry is rampant? Where it's all around? He's asking God to preserve him because This this is the pressure on his life. The pressure of idolatry, David is saying, is real. And it's coming at him in the form of peer pressure. And here's the thing. You're like, hey, idolatry is not a thing for me. It's not appealing to me. But listen, the appeal of a God who does whatever you want. A God of your heart's own making. A God who doesn't exist to tell you what life is about and to tell you how it's best lived, but a God that you get to tell how you want to live. And its only design is to serve you. That's incredible peer pressure. And if we look at David and and disparage him for asking God to guard him through it, we don't know our own hearts well enough. How much easier would it be to have a God who does our bidding than the one who tells us how to live? David is asking God to keep his life 
And one of the first things on his mind is this pressure, this tension between the saints in the land and the idol worshipers of the land. David knows that his heart is to be, if his heart is to be kept from going with the flow and giving in to the pressure around him, he must ask God for help. This is one reason I love the Psalms. They're so honest. So honest. They're, they're way more honest than we are in conversation with one another or in conversation with God in prayer. Preserve me. Don't let me be an idol worshiper. The answer of the Psalms to peer pressure is not to try harder and do better. The answer in this Psalm and so many others is cry out to God. Ask Him for help. Seek refuge in Him. Keep me. Guard me. What are the ways that your life, even right now, is marked by this kind of pressure? Look, every single one of us have it. We have peer pressure in some form or fashion in our lives. Every single one of us do. Certainly we think of it with teens having all the the pressures in their lives and all the changes and and various things going on, but it doesn't stop when you become an adult. That's a lie. Do you, child of God, call out to the Lord with the psalmist, guard me, keep me, preserve me? The second insecurity we see here in this psalm, we can identify this this way, uncertain future. Look at verse 7 and 8. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. I think it's right there. I shall not be shaken. David is reminding himself of these things. He needs the counsel of God to navigate his life. He needs the Lord to instruct him. He needs the Lord to be beside him because his life is utterly unpredictable. He doesn't know what's coming next. If we're honest, this is one of our bigger issues as well. This is one of our biggest insecurities. We do not know what's coming next. David is telling us how to navigate these insecurities. Again, ask God to keep you, to guard you, to watch over you, to be near you at your right hand. This is where we're being pointed in light of these deep insecurities. I don't know what's coming next. I only know that God is with me. Have you been impacted by this insecurity? You don't know what the future holds for you. We all have to put our trust in something with an insecure future. Is it our retirement account? Is it our alarm system? The locks on our cars? Is it trust in our career paths? What are we putting our hope in, our trust in, in light of an utterly unpredictable future? We do not know what the rest of this day will hold. David's answer is that the Lord is at his right hand. 
He is telling himself how to navigate an uncertain life. And it is proximity to God that does it for him. Child of God, nearness to Christ is the answer for this uncertainty, this insecurity in our life. A third insecurity we find in David is also very well known to us, not just peer pressure, not just an insecure future, but also his own body. Look at verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Then he goes on to talk about death. This is a theme from here to the end of the psalm. What is going to happen to my body? The issues we have surrounding the body in in our current culture are utterly crazy. Crazy. Pornography is an incredibly huge industry. The beauty industry. An entire industry. 30 billion per year and growing by 3 to 4% a year is this health and fitness industry. We spend our time, our money, our lives devoted to physical bodies because of this insecurity. Again, this is an issue that every single one of us can relate to. I am not saying disregard your body. I'm not saying that. But can you ever do enough to find security in your physical body? No, David knows the lesson well. We're all going to die. Death is a curse. And a real present issue. Even in our denomination in the past couple of weeks. Tim Keller's life. Cancer. Harry Reader's life. Taken. Car wreck. It is not certain We're lying to ourselves if we're sitting here thinking, this isn't one of my insecurities. It is. Whether you acknowledge that or not. So we've answered the question, what causes this insecurity in David? Why is he asking to be guarded, to be kept? Things that we can relate to. Peer pressure. An uncertain future. And his own body, death itself. So where do we wrongly go to find security? This this takes us back to verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names upon my lips. Where did the ancient world look for security? Where did they go when they were insecure? They looked for their own ability to control using gods of their own making. That's what they did. My life is insecure. I need a crop. I need a God that I can control that will give me everything I want. Fertility, sex, power, warfare, weather, prosperity, and money. All these things were sought for the prosperity of those who were insecure. You're insecure about this area and you create a false God to fill in the gap. psalmist says that he will not drink their offerings of blood. What in the world? It's gross. What's he talking about? Drinking blood? 
Yes, absolutely, this is what idolaters would do. This, this was a common practice when animals would be sacrificed or humans sacrificed to false gods. They would drink the blood. David is saying, I want no part of it. So the question comes to each of us, me included, all week long, where do I go with my insecurity? It would really be easy for us to utterly dismiss what David is seeing in his culture and say we never would sacrifice an animal and drink its blood. We would never, ever do that. Listen to this quote. Keller says this. We may not believe in literal divine God beings of beauty, wealth, pleasure, fertility, but we all must live for something. And if we live for and love anything more than God himself, we are trapped They become the things that we have to have, so we run exhausted after them. But this leads to increased suffering for life inevitably takes takes them from it, end quote. The very thing we are seeking to find security is going to fail us every single time. We think it's going to fulfill us, and it's going to give us life, and it's leading us to death. An increase in suffering, David says. To one degree or another, we are all tempted to resort to these empty idols for security, but these idols are going to vanish and be cast away into the trash. Idols are utterly worthless and cannot provide any real lasting security at all. We may commit ourselves to some earthly idol for fulfillment, self-gratification, But in the end, we're being told in this psalm, there will be none that will not fulfill. The more we pursue our idols, in fact, things to give us what we want, the more we are dominated by those idols. You see, the end of idolatry is death. Speaking to the church in Colossians 3, Paul identifies idols, put to death, therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry on the account of these things, the wrath of God is coming, and these you too once walked when you were living in them. Notice the past tense of all of that. Like, not idolatry. It's not going to give you the satisfaction that you seek. It's not actually going to paint over the insecurities of your life. It won't cope. Psalm 16 is offering us an amazing insight about our insecurities and the ways that we wrongly try to address them. But it also concisely answers what is the only source of true security. He begins by telling his own heart, and he's telling his heart the truth in one and two. Preserve me, guard me, keep me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Notice how immediately personal he gets. This is one answer for the believer and insecurity. In you, I take refuge. I hide in you. He reminds his soul that Yahweh, the Lord, notice verse 2, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. This is an answer for insecurity. It's not just that the things of God are true. It's not just that the gospel is true. 
It's that it's true for me. I believe it. I take it in. It is mine by faith. David isn't approaching God at a distance. He's up close. He's personal. The maker of heaven and earth is his God. Does it remind you of Thomas, my Lord, and my God? Do you remember when he put his hands on the scars of Jesus? That's what he said. It's no longer distant and impersonal. It's no longer just what the other disciples saw about Jesus. Now for Thomas, it was real. And that's exactly what David is saying for himself. Verse 3, my delight. Verse 4, I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Verse 6, the lines have fallen for me. I have a beautiful inheritance. Verse 7, I bless the Lord. My heart instructs me. Verse 8, he is at my right hand. Verse 9, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure. Verse 10, you will not abandon my soul. Verse 11, you make the path of life made known to me. It's personal. It's not distant. He's not looking at how God works himself out in someone else's life for him to find security. He's believing it. He's holding it. He's saying, you're mine. This is the answer to his heart's insecurity. You're mine. I think we have something to learn from David here. It's not just enough to know what God is like. That's good. But it's never going to impact the insecurities of our life. You can't know enough stuff about God to not feel insecure. You have to take those realities about God and apply them to your life. You can't know enough theology to suddenly make yourself sleep good at night. It doesn't work like that. My Lord, my God. When's the last time you spoke to the Lord in such a personal way? Do you have a hard time doing that? Pray the Psalms. Because they do it all the time. When is the last time you called on the Lord of heaven and earth? When is the last time you, you looked at him like that and called him your God? When have you cried out to Christ in your sin? Lord Jesus, help me. I'm stuck. Do you think of salvation in this personal way? Notice David isn't approaching God as though he was an idol who will do David's will. If he only says the right words and can manipulate God, then everything will be great with his insecurities. No, he says, I have no good apart from you at all. He's not just going to God saying, hey, fix everything and then I'll be okay. No, he, he calls out to God saying, I have nothing good apart from you. Listen, you will never find the security that you long for in a carton of ice cream. Why? Because it's going to run out. An incredible meal, it's not going to last. You're going to get hungry again. An incredible glass of wine, you're going to thirst again. Physical training is good, but one day, no matter how fit you are, which keep on going, that's good. Your body will fail. You're going to grow old. 
You're going to die if the Lord tarries. A great relationship, even the best marriage on the planet is going to have issues. You're going to argue. A wonderful house, even a brand new house, will still have projects that have to be done. The most beautiful cars in the world will still break down and eventually rust. The best job you could ever imagine will still be by the sweat of your brow and come with thorns and thistles. You will never find true and lasting goodness in the world, brightness, righteousness, or love apart from God himself. David Strain says it like this, quote, above you, beside you, beyond you, nothing good. No good other than you. You are the sum and the apex and the fullness of all the good that I seek, end quote. Look at the contrast of those who find their good in God. This is contrast to the idolater. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Idolaters have to deal with their gods to get satisfaction. And the Lord, David says to the Lord, you are my satisfaction. What is this business about lines falling in pleasant places? It's kind of a weird statement. It's an inheritance. These are like the boundary markers of his allotted land. Like we read back in Numbers, David is saying this, I am satisfied with what you have given me. What an answer to insecurity. What an answer to the insecurities that dominate our heart. It's saying this, I am satisfied with what you have given me. The boundary lines of my inheritance is you. Paul in Philippians 3 says something similar to this. He says this, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He's saying the exact same thing as David. He's saying these lines, my allotted inheritance is you, Christ. And I am content. We see Christ as our inheritance. And count everything else as rubbish compared with him. And this is where we intersect with Peter in Acts chapter 2. Jesus has come to live and die and rise for sinners. He's now ascended into heaven. And Peter is making this grand argument. And it centers on the resurrection of Christ using this text. This was his passage. This is what we heard Howard read earlier. This New Testament lesson in Acts 2 gives us the divinely inspired interpretation. Hear what Peter says about this text. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. Loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For, listen to this. This is the key to Psalm 16 in the New Testament. For... David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. David is talking about Christ. 
this insecurity and death business that his flesh will not come apart, that he will not be abandoned to the pit. He goes on to say, in fact, David was buried. His his flesh did rot in a grave. He's not talking about himself. He's talking about his greater son, Christ. The body of Christ was not abandoned to the pit. Jesus is the one who makes known the path of life in His presence. There is joy and at His right hand, the right hand of Christ, there is pleasure evermore. Again, David's body would rot. His flesh would be in the grave. And if the Lord tarries, your body will too, and so will my body. However, David knew that at the core of his insecurity, the only way to see through and past the curse of death is to see Christ. It's exactly what Peter says in Acts 2. He's looking at Christ. Christ was the way through. The horizon that David saw was beyond his own life. To, try, to find true security, David had to look beyond himself. He had to look to Christ. Paul picks up this very same psalm in Acts 13, and he, gives us, he actually gives us a, a really good application. Listen to this. He says, you will not let your Holy One see corruption, our text. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. So he takes our text and he says this, David was looking beyond himself to Christ. And because Christ will will protect, because his flesh was protected in glorious resurrection, forgiveness can now be preached. Listen, child of God, or if you're here and you're not a child of God, please hear the application, forgiveness in Christ. Everyone who believes in Christ is set free. Where did David look to find freedom from insecurity and peer pressure and not knowing the future in the face of his own death? He looked to Christ, the crucified and risen King ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. And that's where he's pointing us. Money, relationships, power cannot answer the insecurities, the peer pressure, the uncertain future, the inescapability of death that we all live with. But Christ has won. He rules over all of them. So through this psalm, get Jesus. David is saying, run to him, rest in him. At his right hand, there are pleasures evermore. Can you say with David, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, and my flesh also rests secure. Can you say that? What a statement. Today, let's fly to Christ in our insecurities. And with David, let us realize that apart from our God, we have no good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this psalm, this Pentecost sermon, for this incredible text that 
you, the risen Christ, inform all our insecurities and forgive us, Lord, when we default to our own idols, gods that will serve us. Give us hearts of repentance and faith, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.